I'm going to tell you a story I shouldn't tell you. I used to work at a church with a fairly conservative group of people. And uh, there was one guy in particular who hated it when somebody would say Happy Easter. You had to say Resurrection Day. So I made it a point to say Happy Easter to him about 45 times throughout the whole morning because I just don't think God cares about stuff like that. So that's the kind of terrible human being I am. Thank you for being here today. So it's good to have you. Hey, if you're a guest this morning, if you're tuning in online, you're out in the atrium or enjoying the warm sunshine out on the patio, my name is Ryan, lead pastor here. Inside the program is my cell phone number. That is my cell phone number. If you'd like to get coffee, if you have any questions, I'd love to kind of hear your story and have our lives intersect. And so how many of you, raise your hand, I'm nice now, you've had coffee. We've been able to have coffee. Are there are a few folks in the room, so you can see we actually do this. If you send me a text, we'll get together and have some coffee. I'll even let you buy that's just the kind of generous person I am, you know, give you the blessing, you know. So uh, it's good to be, that, that phrase, right, you're not alone, right, what a, what a good thing to just hold, a good thing to just hold, because we've all, if we're honest, have felt the sting of loneliness, right? How many of y'all ever felt lonely? Like just life can do that to you, right? Now, I'm not talking about being alone. How many introverts in the room uh, if you're raising your hand, you're really not an introvert. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Church is like wired for extroverts, right? But I actually am kind of an introvert, and so like I get energy from being alone, right? I just enjoy time by myself. But that's, that's not really what that song is addressing, right? That song is addressing this idea that we can find ourselves in situations, as one article says, that we're isolated, right? And isolated is being by yourself, but loneliness is not liking it, right? We can find ourselves in a space where we're alone, nobody's around, but when we get to that feeling of like not liking it, it's kind of why like some of you are, are in this room and we're, it's filled with people, but maybe you feel alone, right? Maybe there's just some part of you that says nobody gets me. A lot of work is being done on loneliness right now in, in health, uh, and, and we're finding that there is an epidemic of loneliness inside of our culture, right? More than one in three Americans, according to a Harvard study, like define themselves as lonely. And that study, that same study said that that number rises, like one in three, that 30%, it rises to 61% when looking at younger people. How many of you classify yourself as younger people? Raise your hand up nice and high. I know I still do, uh, even though I'm not, but I do. 61% younger people. And, and that number from one-third rises to 51%, particularly amongst mothers with young kids. Some of our parents, whether you're mother or father, you're like, yes, amen, amen. Like, that can be an isolating experience. And this loneliness epidemic is a major concern for health professionals in our culture because loneliness has been linked to things like high blood pressure and depression and heart disease, stroke. One literature review even found that lacking a social connection can be more dangerous than smoking 15 cigarettes a day and deadlier than obesity. Loneliness is an epidemic, and loneliness enters into our lives as an unwelcomed guest, right? Y'all ever had that experience, like, ding dong, like, we're not expecting anyone. And it enters into our lives through traumatic events often, uh, grief. If you've ever sat in a space of grief, you know that you can be in a whole group of people that are grieving a loss and still feel very alone. Defeat and failure oftentimes bring about that feeling of loneliness. Stress, success, success can breed a sense of loneliness. Have you ever compared yourself to somebody else? That'll do it too. 
start to compare ourselves with everybody that we work with. Maybe some of you in here, your life is this picture of not fitting into the dominant way of thinking or being around you. So you think differently, right? You've you've felt like the other for a long time. Maybe the, the religious culture you grew up in said that your personhood and that your very being was against God. And so it's left you in a space of loneliness or hurt. It's something that you felt very real inside of your like physical reality. That system of belonging that you were raised in, just its nuance just consistently lets you know that you don't belong. Whatever, for whatever reason. Our failures, whether they're actual or perceived, they do this. Rejection. When we experience rejection by people that are meant to unconditionally love us, where that can leave us feeling completely alone. And once loneliness comes in, once it kind of becomes a resonant, once it sits down for dinner, loneliness just starts lying to us, right? It's a big old liar. Loneliness is going to tell us all these lies. It's going to tell us, oh, well, there's something wrong with me. There must be something wrong with me. That's why I'm alone. Uh, loneliness is going to lie and tell us that, that we don't deserve love, that there's something in your life, there's some mistake that you've made, there's, there's just something that says, you know, at the end of the day, if that wouldn't have happened to me or if I wouldn't have done that thing, then I would deserve to, but I don't deserve to belong. And that's just lo- the loneliness lying to us. Loneliness will lie and tell us that we deserve our pain, that we deserve our exclusion. And loneliness without an intervention, without a radical experience of love and inclusion, will just lead to this massive weight and darkness in our lives, this death, so to speak. And we can call that feeling lostness. Like loneliness needs to this place where we just feel lost. We, we don't know which way to go. We're not sure the direction. Nobody gets me. Nobody understands me. I don't know where to turn. And so this chronic loneliness without intervention will bring this feeling of helplessness and hopelessness into our lives. And one of the reasons why the story of the resurrection or the resurrection stories, because we have multiple ones in our our scriptures, why they're so endearing, why that story lasts, why it's so powerful is because in one sense, the resurrection stories act as an intervention into the loneliness and lostness of the earliest friends of Jesus. Right? No matter how hard we try to imagine, I don't know that we can ever fully get into the experience of those earliest disciples and how lost they must have felt after having given their lives to a message, to a vision, and to feel like it had gone away. And then these stories, as they were written down and as they were passed along, they began to serve those earliest communities, those earliest communities of people who were gathered to try and live out this radical, egalitarian, inclusive message of Jesus yet felt so lonely because it was so radically different than the world around us. So the resurrection story became an encouragement to them, a source of wisdom. And that's the big question I want to ask today for a few moments is, what wisdom can we find in the resurrection story as it relates to our loneliness, and in particular, in the Gospel of John? Now, I understand when we start talking about the Bible, there's many of us that are listening, that are here in this space, maybe you're tuned online, and as soon as I say the Bible, you like cold sweats break out, the heart starts to race because you've had a terrible experience with this collection of writings. And I want to hold space for that. And and I want to say that if that's been your experience, I hope that you'll find Crossroads to be a space where Scripture is a source of freedom and hope and life. You'll find me to be a person that believes that the Scripture, the Bible, this collection of books is a terrible rule book, horrible rule book. Somebody say amen. 
the Bible is too ambiguous. It's too ancient. It's too diverse to be a good rule book. It's a terrible rule book. And, and because it's a terrible rule book, that's why we have a whole bunch of like thousands and thousands of groups that claim to understand all the rules their way, okay? But the Bible is a beautiful collection of writings that give us a picture of how our spiritual ancestors thought about God, how they tried to live faithful in their context. It gives us a beautiful picture of, of Jesus and how Jesus was kind of so antithetical to the norms of the way in which people thought about God in his own culture. And inside of this collection of writings, it is a collection of writings, by the way. We say the Bible's a book, but it's not a book. It's a library, which is why it's kind of problematic to say, well, what does the Bible say about whatever? Because it's like saying, well, what does the library say about marine biology? <laughs> like, it's diverse. You're going to get, what does, the, what does the library say about evolution? You're going to find books inside of a library that say, yay, and you're going to find books inside of a library that say, boo, right? And so it's the same with Scripture. There's a diversity to it. But I want to look at this, this one, one, one way of telling the story of Jesus, which is filled with metaphor and crazy language that's kind of bizarre and weird. It's the Gospel of John. Strangest of all the four Gospels that we have. Gospel just means good news. And John is probably the latest of our Gospels. So John was written probably 60 years after the death of Jesus. 60 years of people experiencing Jesus still alive, Right? And, 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 and Jesus' words would have been passed down. And, and the person who wrote the Gospel of John, we're not really sure who that is. We say John, so we'll go with that. But it's, we don't know. The writer of John is taking all these sources and all these stories that are of value to their community and putting it into a story to say, here's why Jesus is so important. Here's how Jesus can help us make sense of our world. Right? And so the Gospel of John has weird statements. Like Jesus says things like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have any part. I'm sorry. No, Jesus. No. I'm out. I'm out. I'm not drinking your flesh, eating your flesh, drinking your blood. That's disgusting. No. That's why the earliest followers of Jesus were called cannibals. Did you know that historically? Yeah, thank you, John. We appreciate that one. That's part of our heritage. Jesus would say things in this Gospel like, I am the way or I am the door. But he wouldn't, in the other Gospels, the three Gospels, Jesus never says statements like that, like I am, right? So John's saying, here's what Jesus means. Here's what Jesus means to us, to our community, to our faith, right? And so the Gospel of John tells us what's important about Jesus. Is it meant to be an encouragement? And really, John's writing this book and saying, hey, this is what it means to be part of this community of resurrected ones, of people that continually participate in the life of this person who walked this earth and offered a radically different vision of God. And it ends with two chapters, chapter 20 and chapter 21. And, and these, two story, these two chapters relate the stories of the appearance of what we'll call the living Christ. Because this appearance of the living Christ was different than the historical Jesus that walked around. Because when Jesus was walking around before he was crucified, he didn't walk through walls. He didn't magically appear. <laughs> Right? But, but the Jesus in, in the Gospel of John, these last two stories, like he just magically appears. Just this boom, he's right there in the room, walks through walls. Pretty cool trick. Right? And so, so what John is telling us is, hey, this is what the resurrection means. This is what the resurrected one, what we'll call the living Christ, does. So John chapter 20, 21, what we see here is Jesus on this like tour of finding people in their loneliness. There's four ways, four people, four groups that Jesus just kind of makes his way to, the living Christ makes his way into 
in their loneliness and the cause of their loneliness. So the first one in John chapter 20 is that the living Christ found and included in this great big vision of peace on earth, Mary in the loneliness of her grief. Right, so John chapter 20, we have Mary who's gone to the tomb and, and she, it's, it's empty. She can't find Jesus and she's so irritated. She's sad and there's, there's some people there and they're angels, right? We think of them as angels and they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? It seems like a stupid question to me. She's at a grave. Why are you asking such a dumb question? That's the way I think of the story. <laughs> like, uh, I think it's pretty apparent why she's weeping. They said, why are you weeping? And she says, they've taken my Lord, and I don't, know, I don't know where they've laid him. And so when she had said this, she turned around, and, and Jesus was standing there. She saw this person, and it was Jesus, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Another cool trick that Jesus had up his sleeve as the living Christ. You just never know where he's going to be. You can't recognize him. She doesn't know it. And so Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Again, just the dumb Jesus asking silly questions, right? Of course, he knows me. Why are you, that's why I don't take these stories super literally. Why are you weeping? She says, well, who are you looking for? And I love this. She thought it was the gardener. She thought it was the gardener. So she says, where have you carried him away to? Just tell me and I'll get him. I'll take him back. And then the living Christ Jesus says, Mary, calls her name. And she turns and she says in Hebrew, Roboni, which means my teacher, and she recognizes that it's Jesus. And, and in that moment, it's the living Christ. And the point of the story is never to say, oh, did this literally happen? Did they really ask? No, the point of the story is in, in our lostness, in our grief, the living Christ appears to us as gardeners. And we don't know it all the time. But the living Christ will meet us in our loneliness if we'll ask, if we'll seek, we'll call our name. Next stop on Jesus' tour is the disciples. It says in John chapter 20 that the living Christ basically came and found and included the disciples in the loneliness of their fears. Right? John chapter 20, verse 19, the disciples are all tucked away in a room and they're scared. Why are they scared? Because their leader had just been crucified by Rome as an insurrectionist, and they didn't know what was next for them. So the doors are locked. And it says that on the evening of the day of that first week, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were, because they were afraid of the leadership. What's going to happen? Jesus came and stood in their midst. This is why I think it's funny when people want to argue about the like, type of resurrection. Was it a physical body? Was it not a physical body? I'm like, I don't know what it was, but it's definitely different than this one, because I cannot magically appear, right? So I'm just like, it's something different. And again, I don't get caught up in that because I don't think that's the point of the story. I think the point of the story is right there in the midst of the fear, the living Christ says, peace is available. Peace be with you. And as it turns out, as they're hanging out there, for whatever reasons, Thomas isn't with the group. He's out on a beer run. I don't know. He got, I don't know. He's like, it was his turn to leave the room for whatever reason. So he goes out. We don't know why he's not there, but he's not there. And he comes back in. And they're like, Thomas, you won't believe what happened. That had to have been the worst day of Thomas's life. <laughs> I mean, I don't know which is worse. Like Friday, when you're there watching this person that you've given your whole life towards die and think it's over with, or then finding out from 11, 10 of your closest friends that he was there and you weren't. <laughs> right? But what we find out in the story is that the living Christ comes and finds Thomas in his doubt, in the loneliness of doubt. 
It says in, in verse 26 through 27 of that chapter that a week later, his disciples, can we just pause for a second? Worst week ever. A week later, a week of your friends giving you a hard time about not being there. Right? A week of them talking about whatever happened and you weren't there. So a week later, the disciples are again together, but Thomas is there. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes. And it says, although the doors were locked again. What does that mean? Although the fear stayed. We missed that. Jesus appeared, but they're still afraid. The doors are still locked. Thomas is there this time. Jesus appears and does the exact same thing. He says, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands. Bring your hand in and put it on my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believe. I love that in the doubts, Jesus doesn't show up and be like, Thomas, how hard is it to believe 10 people? Come on. It's not like one of them, but all 10 of them were here and you just couldn't take their word for it. I've got things to do. Why do I need to come back here? There's lots of things I need to be doing right now and accommodating your doubt is not one of them. But that's not what happens. The living Christ comes and meets Thomas right now. That's the point of the story. Whatever reason for our doubts, the living Christ meets us, finds us there, includes us there. And my favorite stop on the tour, my favorite part is John chapter 21. And it's in John chapter 21 where Jesus, this living Christ, found and included Peter in the loneliness of his defeat. You ever felt defeated in life? You ever felt like you're a failure, like there's no space for you? See, I think these stories are so beautiful because they speak to a human condition, a human reality. In John chapter 21, we find Peter had failed. He had failed as a disciple. The story is clear. Three times he had denied that he ever knew Jesus. He was an insider, and then he stood outside the trial, as the story goes in John, and he denies Jesus, says, I never knew him. I don't have any idea who it is. And so he's a failure as a disciple. So what does he do? He says, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go back to what I started. And here's the beauty of the story. Not only is a failure as a disciple, he's out fishing all night and catches nothing. He's a failure as a fisherman too. They can't catch anything all night until this person on the shore says, hey, cast, cast your nets on the other side. And you know how that feels, right? You ever had that coworker? <laughs> you've tried everything and then they come in and they tell you what is obvious that you've tried 16 times. You're like, thank you for that. Like, I imagine Peter out on the boat all night long fishing, just the failure, just setting in and setting in and setting in, the lostness, the loneliness, setting in. I can't even fish anymore. My life was headed somewhere. I mean, I was with this man who said that he offered a vision of God for everyone, where he broke down these barriers that the temple and our structures had put up, and he said that there was good news for the poor, and this man was going to change everything, and I gave my life, and I was on the inside, and now look where I'm at. I'm back on this stupid, smelly boat, and I can't even do this right. And then they cast their nets on the other side and catch the fish, and somewhere in the process, Peter realizes it's Jesus on the shore, and he jumps out of the Somewhere amidst his failure and his doubt in himself, he had the faith to jump out of the boat and go to the shore and find Jesus. And I love what Jesus does, the living Christ in that moment. The story is so beautiful. It's our story. It's Peter's story. It's the story of death to life. It's of restoration 
because this risen Christ looks at Peter in his failure and he asks him this question, very simple, three times, once for each time that he denied Jesus, do you love me, Peter? He said, yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. They sat a little while longer and Jesus said, Peter, do you really love me? Peter, gosh, now I can't even love Jesus, right? Yes, you know I love you, Jesus. Then take care of my sheep. I think Peter starts to catch it. Mm. Maybe my loving of Jesus isn't my willingness to be a part of an insurrection. Maybe my loving Jesus isn't my willingness to die. Maybe my loving Jesus isn't getting everything perfect. Maybe my loving Jesus is about loving the things that Jesus loves, the people that Jesus loves. And a third time, this risen Christ says, Peter, do you really love me? And now, Peter, oh my gosh, this guy. Yes, yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. And at the height of Peter's frustration with the question, Jesus then looks at him. And in John chapter 21, verse 19, takes him right back to the beginning, and he says, then follow me. Now, what we don't know in this little chapter is earlier in the story that John gives us is that Peter desperately wanted to follow Jesus, even to death. And that's where Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. He said, no, I'll follow you. He says, you can't go where I'm going. You're going to deny that you even know me three times, Peter. You have to go through the pain of loss and doubt before you're ready to accept what it really means to follow me, to love me, to feed my sheep. See, these are stories that are meant to give us meaning and purpose and understanding in our lives and to get caught up in, was it a, a, a physical body there that was talking to Jesus? And did they actually just, we miss what what the Spirit and the living Christ is encouraging us with today is that sometimes we're not ready for the things that God has for us and we walk through difficulties, but the Spirit of the living Christ, the resurrected one, is always right there doing what? Finding and including us no matter what. No matter where you are today, no matter who you are today, the Spirit of the living Christ is finding you no matter what. Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. There's always great rejoicing because the message and the meaning and the whole of the historical Jesus and the experience of the living Christ, the ultimate nature of reality, what is more, what we call God, is healing through finding and including. And that is the good news. It's good news for everybody. So no matter where you are today, the truth is, in the resurrected Christ, you can be found. And that I believe the message of the gospel and the truth of Jesus is that we will all be found. And that's why songs like this, when they're written in musicals in our world, resonate and capture our hearts because something deep inside of us knows the truth that we're all found.
song in Dear Evan Hansen takes the cake, becomes the song of the whole musical because it's, it's written in, in us at the soul level to know and believe that we can be found, that if we lift our voices, that it isn't an empty universe, it isn't a hostile universe, it's an enchanted universe that is grounded in love and the resurrection of Jesus and, and the perpetuation of that story and the ones that follow him as resurrected ones ourselves. That's the beauty of it. That's the healing. And so if you're here today, if you're lonely, if you're lost, if you're in that space, I want to encourage you to open your heart. That part of you, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about that space that's beyond our thinking, 
what we can rationalize. It's not to give up our thinking personhood. It's not to say we accept and believe everything literally six days of creation. No, it's to open up ourselves to something deeper that we know to be true, that we are loved and we are found and we are included. And so I want to encourage you, if you're feeling that lostness, that loneliness, Maybe you've been told something about God that is contrary to what you've heard today, but your soul and your heart tells you that what you're hearing today is true. Open up your heart to that. And let that begin a transforming work. And maybe the lostness and the pain and the hurt spiritually have been so great in your life that you just, you feel disconnected. You're dissatisfied with the faith that you were handed and you're actually in a space of deconstructing, digging in, and you just can't give up on Jesus because there's something beautiful about Jesus, but, but the faith that you have is not a faith that you feel like you could love anymore, the one that was handed to you. Well, I want to encourage you to, to explore faith from a fresh perspective. Next week, we're going to launch a new teaching series called Fresh Perspective. And during this series, we're going to look at these big ideas from the Christian faith tradition, like the Bible and God and Jesus and the cross and words like sin and atonement, and how these words have often been used to, to control and manipulate in a dogmatic, uncompassionate, exclusive, toxic way. And we're going to say, no, there's an emerging something beautiful. There's an awakening that's happening within our tradition that goes way back. And so we're going to explore these things in a way that's consistent with Jesus' vision of God as universal and compassionate and merciful, not controlling trying to keep people submitted to always having to believe exactly the same thing. These are the big topics for our spiritual generation, and we're going to explore them, and we're going to give space for you to lift your voice, to have conversations about how you've interacted with these topics, so we're going to have conversation groups that are available. For those of you that say, you know, religion and faith, what was supposed to make me feel welcome and loved, you know, it's just made me feel lonely and lost. Or maybe you're like me, and you realize I think I've been participating in a type of religion that has made a lot of people lonely and lost, and I need to hear and process and be challenged and changed. Well, I want to encourage you to participate. And when all that launches with, our, with the conversation groups, we're going to have something called Connect with Crossroads, which we do this you know, every, about every three or four weeks, where if you're kind of new to the Crossroads space, like you can come and ask questions. And there's QR codes on the tables or up on the screen if you want information about that. It's just right after one of the services. It's a great way in your everyday normal life to just open up your heart up to this idea that the resurrected Christ seeks what is lost, finds us in our loneliness. And if you're here today and you're part of this place called Crossroads, you are a part of Crossroads, you are a Crossroads, you're following this peacemaking path of Jesus. That's what we talk about around here this invitation to be a peacemaker. You're, you're trying to do that. I just want to say this. In your everyday normal life, here's the call for you and me as resurrected ones, as people who model the death and resurrection of Jesus from darkness to light. Like, Live a life of grace and inclusion until it takes everybody off around you. I don't know if you know it or not, but I'm a broken record. because we have enough voices telling us we're not loved and we're not included. The gospel message of Jesus is that God is finding and including everyone. It's just that simple. It's hard to control you and manipulate you with that. Sorry. It's hard to get you to give in the offering with that message. 
but it is the truth and it is freeing and it is the only way that peace on earth will ever be found. So if you're following the peacemaking path of Jesus, remember the rule of life that we talked about here. We modeled this, we created this thing called a rule of life, which isn't really a rule, kind of some things we try to live by. And the first rule, rule number one, we said was what? Daily choose to follow Jesus. And that means walk the narrow path of loving mercy, doing justice, and living sacrificially. Notice there's nothing in there about what you have to believe about creation, the historical Jesus. Like, No, we just get drilled down to the basics. This is what it means to follow Jesus, to look for those that are excluded, to look for those that are lost. That's, it's all the same word. We're talking about the same concept. Include. Injustice is usually an exclusionary force, so we do justice. And we live sacrificially. We give of ourselves. And inclusion will look different for each of us. There'll be people in our lives that their behavior is toxic, and we have to be very cautious and careful about how we include. But maybe all of us can just start by including people in our prayers. We can start by including people with kind words. We can start by, instead of addressing people, we can address behaviors. We can call behaviors problematic, toxic, hate-filled, as opposed to people. And when we do this, when we start to say love really does include everyone, that's when peace flourishes. That's when peace, which is a product of justice, which is a product of sacrifice and mercy, that's where it starts to flourish. That's where the Christmas vision of peace on earth starts to get lived out. And the other thing that happens in our world when love includes everyone is understanding begins to be a healing agent. Understanding heals our wounds. When I sit around a table and I hear stories of people that are different than me and I seek understanding, I'm transformed by that. So as we kind of wrap up here in a moment, we're going to head out. We're going to have our lamb and mint jelly. I don't know what you do on Easter. What is God inviting you into? What is the resurrected one, the living Christ, speaking to your heart today? On the back of that connect card, there's some next steps. I just would encourage you in the next few moments as you're getting ready to head out that you think through, like maybe God's inviting you to explore faith from a fresh perspective by participating in the series that will launch next week. Maybe that resonated with you, that, that there's something in you that, that says, I, want, I love faith, and I want a faith that I can love. I do believe that God is real, and I don't know all the words around that, but there's something inside of me that wants to experience that God in community, just maybe explore some things that are part of our tradition from a fresh perspective. Maybe as I talked about conversation groups for us to debrief and talk through some of our experiences with thinking through concepts like the Bible and God and Jesus and the cross and atonement and the church. Maybe being a part of a conversation where you can share your experiences that resonated with you. Just check that box and we'll make sure you get information. We won't show up at your door with the conversation group, I promise. But just here's make it easy for you. And I would just say this, if you're here today and you're feeling that sense of loneliness, and maybe there's a part of you that hopes and believes that Crossroads could be a space where, where you could feel welcomed and loved, where you could find hope, I would just encourage you to check that third box that says, I'd like to meet with a care minister to talk about my loneliness and how participating here could actually be a space where I could be found. 
because we do actually believe that the beautiful reality of a local church when done well in healthy spirituality it is a space where we encounter the divine together and we all are finding healing and we all are finding hope we all experience lostness in different ways in our lives so maybe just check that box let me pray for us God do not understand we can't begin to fathom the mystery of the resurrection but in faith we've gathered here today some part of us says it's important and we gather in faith believing that like the earliest followers of Jesus we can experience Jesus today as a living reality and we can enjoy talking about what the resurrected body was like and were they visions or was it a real body was it historically we can have great conversations around all of that but Lord never at the expense of the hope and the encouragement and the meaning of those stories for our lives today that it is in our doubts it's in our fears it's in our grief and it's in our failures the loneliness that flows out of that that, that the living Christ finds us and includes us in the healing of this world. 